0: Well, my name is Ricky Spindler, and I'm the lead pastor here, and it's just a privilege uh, to have you with us today. If you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture, 2 Kings or 2 Kings. Chapter 4 is is where we're going to be landing here in a few moments. And for those of you who weren't with us last week, we have uh, really dived into a series that we're calling Me and My House comes from Joshua uh, 24, where in a, in a diluted season, if you will, the, the, as a whole, the nation was wandering from the Lord, and Joshua 24, the aged leader, says to a whole group of people, drawing the proverbial line in the sand, he says, choose you this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I just love that, uh, that declaration. In the Bible, there's four levels to God's house. God's house scripturally has four levels. First is, on the bottom level, is what we will call the person. Because we, the scripture says, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we house the very presence of the Lord. So at the foundational level, uh, you are a house as a person. Then you have, uh, the scriptures refer to the house as a family. You see this all in the scriptures. It's uh, the house of Jacob, the house of Abraham, the house of Deborah, it's just a way to demarcate uh, a house. Now when the Bible speaks of house in that familiar terms, it's not just your immediate family, it's your extended family. How many of you sometimes wish it wasn't your extended family, come on. It's your extended family, but it's also your friends. It, it's, it's those people that you do life with, you do business with on a regular basis, uh, the people you play sports with. Uh, it can be, even if you're not married, it's, it's, it's your roommate. It's, it's those people in your circle. And then uh, we have the church. Uh, Jesus said that my house shall be called a house of prayer as he's walking through the temple. So in one instance, the, house, the church is the house of God. And then you have a uh, nation uh, and a national way of viewing it where it says the house of the Philistines or the house of Israel. And what we're talking about in this series primarily is the first two, the person and the family. When God wants to do something in a nation, he does something in the church. And when God wants to do something in the church, he does something in the family. When God wants to do something in the family, he often does so in the individuals. And I've been guilty of what I'm about to say, but sometimes we can limit the activity of God to only an hour a week of what happens in the church house. When in reality, whatever happens in the church house, God wants to happen in your house as well. And so what we're talking about in this series is how do I bring God in a greater way into my home and to the everyday rhythms of life? It was, uh, when, I, when, I, when I was thinking about this, this, this sermon today, I thought of, you know, speaking about bringing God into your home, there was a story of a burglar who, who got into a home and his plan was to, to, to steal a few small things and to, and to leave the home. But when he gets in there, he hears a voice that says, This Jesus is watching you. And he thinks to himself, Oh my goodness, am I hearing voices? What was that? So he stops in the check. He, he's like, Did my Sunday school teacher just talk to me again? You know, Jesus is watching you. So he, he thinks he maybe just heard his uh, voice in his own head. So he keeps walking a little bit more through the home. And then he hears it again Jesus is watching you. And so, man, he gets the flashlight, he's looking around the house, and there in the corner, he sees a parrot uh, in a little cage. He walks over to the parrot. Now he went from hearing voices to talking to a parrot, and he says, well, what's your name? And the parrot goes, my name is Moses. And he, he asked a question out loud. What kind of people owners name a parrot Moses? And the parrot responded. It said the same people that named the pit bull Jesus. And he said, sick him, Jesus, sick him, Jesus. (laughs) That's a good story. I love it, man. That's inviting Jesus into your home in a greater way, right? Yeah, come on. You can tell that later better than I told it, maybe. Can I just make a statement, and I'll prove it to you biblically, is that God wants to bless your family. The patriarch Jacob, in 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 a random moment, it seemed, Uh, God spoke to him in Genesis 28. He says, your descendants, I put in parentheses family, uh, will also be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And he says, and in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so I love that. There is an internal sense to the blessing of God that God wants to bless me, wants to bless my family. But the reality is, is that God blesses you internally so that he can bless others externally. And that God's plan for your neighborhood is your family. God's plan for the sports team your kids play on is your family. As he blesses you, you bless the other families as well. When I talk this way, though, the pushback, and this is what I often think is, there's a tension that we have to embrace and that we will constantly live in. And, and maybe, tell me if you felt this way before. But we live in this tension of the now and the not yet. It seems like, man, how can I think future and the not yet when the tyranny of the now I mean, I'm just trying to put diapers on the kids. I'm trying to just make sure we got uh, meals and get them to bed on time and sports practices. And I got school, after-school curriculums. I'm running around. Then I'm trying to maintain the semblance of a a healthy marriage. And then I'm trying to just make sure that um, I get rest and take care of myself. Then I got all the housework and the dishes and all of that stuff. How many know the now can be overwhelming? Am I right? And then to say to me, now I have to think of future and the not yet, that that can seem... uh, a tension that can be hard to manage. And uh, when I was thinking about this sermon this week, I I thought of a Steinway piano. It's one of the world's most expensive and prolific pianos. And I read an article about the Steinway piano and it said that on the frame of that piano, the the strings that make the chords, those metal chords, they will put 40,000 pounds of pressure and tension is the word they used on the frame of that piano. 40,000 pounds of tension, and yet it's the tension, what I call the harmonious tension, that allows that thing to make beautiful music. And so what we're talking about is, how do we create a harmonious tension between the now and not yet, and here's what I've learned. When I'm thinking about bringing God into my home, in a greater way, it's not the big things that, that I'm talking about. I'm talking about what are the small ways that I can introduce God into the everyday rhythms of my life so that it can be a now and a not yet picture. And so what I want to think of small ways. I want to look at uh, in 2 Kings 4, uh, a Shunammite woman is what the scripture calls her, a husband and a wife. And the, the main character is a man by the name of Elisha and in the Old Testament terms he points greatly to the person of Jesus. He's known for miracles and many of the miracles that Jesus performed were actually performed by Elisha as well. He took a small amount of food and fed the multitudes. Jesus takes five loaves and two fish, feeds the multitudes. We're going to read a story here where he resurrects a dead boy and Jesus himself would be resurrected Elisha represents the move, the things of God, and ultimately for us in this story, he points us to the person of Jesus Christ. Let's read the story, 2 Kings 4, verse 8. It says, one day Elisha went to Shunem, which is a town, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. And so whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. How many know that's, that's the way you do it? Just feed them and they will come. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. So she's discerning something. And then it says, let's make a small room on the roof and put it in, a, in, a, in it, a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp. Then he came to stay there. Then he could stay there whenever he comes to us. And, and that's exactly what happened on a regular basis. The prophet Elisha on his way through would stay in that little bitty room on top of the roof, and when I read that this week, the phrase, a small room, is what jumped out to me. It says, let us make a small room, and it maybe cost a little, small amount of money, cost a small amount of time to create a small little space that uh, the scripture says that Elijah became a regular guest in that small little room, and I just thought about that in this context, and I said this, that God will fill any amount of room that you make for him. Listen, God will fill any amount of room that you and I will make for him. I'm not asking for uh, something big. Guys, I'm just asking for something small. And in the context of this story, here's what you and I will discover is that she makes a small uh, amount of room and God does really big things two things you're going to see. When you make room for God, here's what happens. New things will be birthed, and dead things will come back to life. When you make room for the Lord, new things will begin to happen, and dead things will begin to come back to life. And so when we're talking about in our context, in the rhythm of life, let me just say a place maybe where you and I don't normally think God wants to reveal himself and show up in this, in a small way, is our conversation. In the rhythms of our life, let me just begin to introduce you a way that we can begin to bring God in a greater way through conversation, because conversation is often where God will reveal himself to us. This happened in the scriptures. It was Moses conversating with God and he says, You're telling me to go back, but he says, whom shall I tell the people is sending me? And it's in response to that question that God reveals a name and his character and his glory to Moses. Israel, or uh, Isaiah the prophet, he's in the temple on the Lord's day and it says that he overhears a conversation that God was having and this is the question, whom shall I send? And in fact, let me just say this, Often, when God has introduced something new, it almost always starts with a question. It was, it was uh, Bartimaeus who was blind. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? It was to the disciples. He says, who do the people say that I am? But more importantly, who do you say that I am? And he introduces a whole new teaching to them. Uh, it's through questions, exploratory questions, not yes or no questions. But it's through questions asking that we often discover something new and make new connections. And when it comes to God in our conversation, he's birthing something new. Because watch what happens when Elisha asks her a question. Verse 13 says this. Elisha said to him, that's Gehazi, his servant. He said, tell her, meaning the Shunammite woman, you've gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? And from a question, they discover that the husband, it says that he's old. Come on, the old guy in the scripture. There you go, pastor, old man. (laughs) It says that he's old and that she's barren, that she'd been unable to have children. And it's through through the question comes this answer. He says to her, a year from now, you will hold a son in your hands. And a whole future changes, a whole child comes because Elisha asked a question you know I just last week attended uh, I was at the, the headquarters of the 64th biggest company in the United States of America it it had last year 657 million dollars of revenue it was the company OtterBox that makes cell phone covers I just found something interesting they talked about this that when they're training managers they have to train them to have conversation because they no longer, even though they've been incredibly educated, they don't know how to have a simple conversation to introduce themselves, and they don't know how to ask a question. We are living in a day and age where through the busyness and through the distractions of technology, we can be in the same family and have no meaningful conversation. In fact, whole states are appointing secretaries of loneliness because there is a pandemic of loneliness that's coming. And so I think about this, and I'd read statistic that parents inside of the home in a week's time on average will have four minutes of meaningful conversation with their children. Four minutes of meaningful conversation. One of my mentors just turned, he's 71, 72, we were asking him questions about the family, and he says, I had six children. Now come on somebody, that's a lot of kids. He said, and every one of them are serving the Lord. And he says, and yeah, I prayed, yeah, I did a lot of things right, but let me tell you one of the best rhythms that I ever did. And he said, I learned this from an older man in my life that it takes to win the heart of a child, to disciple the heart of a child, seven minutes of conversation a day. And he said, for years and decades, I just would go from room to room and have seven minutes of conversation every night with my children. Because it's impossible to lie over a period of seven minutes. <laughs> they will unfold their heart to you. They'll start off lying to you, and by the end, they're confessing to you. Seven minutes. You know, guys, I just love that. And, you know, I know if you're like me, sometimes you're like, what are we going to talk about? And can I just say, maybe in a car ride, maybe at a dinner table once a week, maybe uh, as, uh, as a new routine, maybe what if we just started asking questions? And the book, The Habits of the Household, I encourage you to read that book. They, and I'll, we'll put these on the app tomorrow. We'll send these out so you guys can see them. But there's a list of questions that they, they give for us to ask. Uh, here's some good questions. What was the best and worst part of your day? You can ask a spouse. You can ask your children this. Um, is there anything that you laughed at today? Did anyone get into trouble that wasn't you? That's a good question to add. Does anyone in your class not have a friend? What did you think of before you went to sleep? Who do you like sitting by in class? Who's your best friend right now? What's the bravest thing you've done? Is there anything that you notice that others around uh, about the world um, that other people seem not to notice right now? What do you talk to God about when you pray? When do you pray? Is there anything that you would like to ask me about? Just simple little questions. What would it look like? What could God do? What, what new connection could be made in a spouse or with a family, with a roommate, with your children, if for seven minutes a day or whatever, we just begin to ask a question? In fact, here's what I'd like to do. Just wanna model this. Uh, in, in fact, in the room right now, I want you, and all the introverts are gonna hate me right now, but you can forgive me when you go home later. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to find somebody near you, and I wanna go back to the first question what was the best and worst part of, I'm gonna say, your week, and is there anything that you laughed at this week? And I'm gonna give you two minutes of time, and I want you to turn to the person next to you. What was the best or the worst part of your week and anything that you laughed at this week? Answer all three. Answer one. Turn. Introduce yourself. You don't know. Answer the question. You got plenty of time. Don't be in a hurry. You're only 30 seconds in. you after.
1: I didn't want it. Oh, you know
0: it. No, okay. I, just, I talked to Jacob. I just put two pictures. Two pictures. I had him change the video anyway. <laughs> All right, you got one minute. You're only halfway there. Keep talking. Come on. What's the best part of your week? What was the worst part? What's something that you laughed at this week? You got 30 seconds. You're doing great. Ten seconds. Awesome. All right, here we go. Come on, give yourselves a round of a hand. You talk for two minutes. That's awesome. You know, um, in our home, uh, we've been... uh, Uh, doing would you rather questions and then also would um, having them take notebooks and writing questions that they have throughout the day. And often it's amazing how theological questions, the question we've been answering for quite a while now is, does God love the devil? That's one of the questions that we've asked. And so, man, you'd think that'd be an easy answer, but man, we've been running around and around about that one there, okay? So it's just awesome. So I just want to say this, guys. It's a small way that you can, just by asking questions, you can be Drawn to one another. There's a new connection that just happened. I've watched couples, even just now, you, you weren't even sitting next to each other, but now your arms around them. It's just a way that we can build new connections and, and, and God can birth new ideas and new things. Even when we talk with Him and ask Him questions and He asks us, that's when life really changes. So the next part of the conversation is this. So it goes from question to asking. God reveals Himself through conversation, asking exploratory questions. And the next practical way he reveals himself is through vulnerability. And what I am going to say this, this is we model appropriate vulnerability. And this is in the context of conversation where we share our challenges and your pain. There was the, the Shunammite woman after the child was born, he, he grows up and in the context of the story, you can read it later. Um, While they're working in the fields, the child dies. And she takes this child, and where does she take the child? It says that she takes him and places him in the small little room, the place that she made for the things of God. Then the scripture says that at great cost to her, she goes to find him because he wasn't in Shunam, he was somewhere else. So she She gets the camels, she gets the servants, and off they go. Verse 27, it says, When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi, that's the servant, um, Moses' apprentice, came over to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone. She's in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me, and he has not told me why. So he asked her what's going on, and it's at that moment that you see the lament of a mother. In a moment of intense desperation and vulnerability, she pleads her case before uh, the text man of God, the person Elisha. Now, I'll get back to that story in a minute. This, this week, I had the privilege, the reason I was in Colorado was to visit an 82-year-old man who was the founder of this church. His name was Dick Foth, world-class leader, and invited just about four to five pastors out to spend three days and what didn't happen, there was no teaching. There was no do this, do this, do this. All it was from, from birth to 80, he just told a story. And this is what he said. And he said, if you can tell me the story, I can figure out the Principle. He says that stories like Velcro. When we hear somebody's story, when we read somebody's story, we will find ourselves. We will find a sticking point. We'll find a connection point. And for three days, all he did was tell us his failures and his pain and his struggle. You know, I, I've, I just want to. When I say that, is there's power when we share in appropriate ways, off the age of it, when we share our stories. Revelations twelve eleven says that we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb, which is what Jesus did, and the word of our testimony. When we share our story and people find themselves in our story, it gives them hope. And when, when, I, when, I, when I'm vulnerable as a pastor, when I'm vulnerable as a, as a parent, when I'm vulnerable as a friend, I take the heart exterior, the perfection, the, the image out of it, and I let people see me as I really am. I become human in those moments. What does it look like when a teenager is going through something and you share how you struggle with similar things, not telling them what to do, but letting them find themselves in your story as you share your testimony. I love what Frederick Buechner says. My story is not important because it's mine. God knows. But because if I tell anything like right, the chances are you will recognize that in many ways it is also yours. And it's in these moments, what I've found, it's in lament, it's in the moments of vulnerability, watch this, that allows God's resurrection power to be at work. So if questions lead to new things, vulnerability lead, and lamenting leads to God's resurrecting work. And look what happens in verse 36. It says, Elisha comes to her home. Now, I'm going to paraphrase this to you. He, he follows her back to the house. It says that he leaves everybody behind. Gehazi, he won't let the woman in, and it says, where does he go? He climbs up the steps, and it says he shut the door, and it says now it was the dead boy and Elisha in the room, the small little room that she made that he could occupy. And it says, and there he prayed to the Lord for the boy. It says at some point he laid his hands on his hands. It says he laid his eye to eye, nose to nose, mouth to mouth, and he prayed for the boy. And so the body began to warm to the point where the the boy got up, sneezed seven times. And the verse says in verse 36, Elijah summoned Gehazi the servant and said, call the Shunammite woman. And he did. And when she came, he said, take your son and gave him back. Now watch this. A little bitty room, a small amount of room led to the birth, end of barrenness, led to the birth, supernatural birth of a son, but that same small little room that she made for the Lord to occupy was the instrument and the place where her son was resurrected as well. When I heard that story, when I read that story this week, my mind immediately went to this. Maybe you remember watching this. It was last football season where the Buffalo Bills in a playoff atmosphere, the end of the season that had playoff ramifications connected to it. You had the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Buffalo Bills playing in Buffalo. And later in the game, there was a player number three by the name of Damar Hamlin who made an ordinary routine tackle. And in in, in that game, when he made that tackle, he fell to the ground, and because of the way he hit that person, he went into cardiac arrest. And his heart, Stopped beating on that football field. He didn't move, he wasn't turning over. And for a second, you just, what seemed like forever, but just seconds, everybody's like, What's going on? And the medical personnel, you can see them on live television, start running out onto the field and they immediately begin to do uh, CPR and begin to try to resuscitate this man because they realize he went into cardiac arrest. Well, Live news agencies, Fox, CNN, you can go look at the footage, MSNBC, they all went from their scheduled programming to live, what's going on. So now you have the stands, you have all the watchers, now you have all these news, you literally have millions upon millions of people watching what's unfolding live on a football field. On all the social media platforms, uh, everything, uh, this was being said, pray for number three, three, DeMar Hamlin. On Twitter, it became the number one phrase on Twitter, 80,000 tweets within minutes. His his aunt, who goes to a church in Atlanta, she says she immediately began texting and calling her pastor and asking the church to pray for him. Now here's what happens. On live national television, you have two to 300 pound football players who were just at war with one another are now kneeling I don't care how atheistic they were, agnostic they were, how heathen they were. They're kneeling down and saying, we got to pray. You, in the stands, you saw pictures of people just circling up and praying. And you literally heard an announcer on television say, in the name of Jesus, I pray for this Demar to rise up on this. I mean, it was like going to church in a football game. It was awesome. And... And you know what happens is, is that after a period of time, that man's heart begins to start beating again. That man raised up, and now they say he's going to make a full recovery and possibly play in the NFL again. And I just thought about that, that God interrupted an NFL primetime football game where people made a little bit of room to pray, and God resurrected a dead boy, a man on field. And here's my thought. I just thought about this this week, is that I wonder if some of you, we're going to pray about this in a second, would say that even in my home right now, I had a mom, I had a friend, I had a dad, or even I had a son or a daughter, their heart used to beat for the things of God. And that's the lament that you have. That's the vulnerability. That's the cry of your heart. And you'd come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want my son, my daughter, my mother, my father, my friend's heart to be spiritually resurrected, to beat for the things of God again. So with that in mind, let's stand and and practice conversation, conversation with the Lord. I'm gonna ask you to stand. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come as we get ready to close. Some powerful principles at play as we just make a little bit of room. And listen, the, the Bible is a prayer book. We unashamedly, we always leave room for prayer. Our services don't end at the end of the sermon. In many ways, now it's just beginning. Because now we enter a time of prayer around the word. We're going to worship. We're going to invite you to linger. If you'd like prayer in a few moments, you can pray. You come kneel. You can sit and pray as a family as well. But just put your hands out in front of your palms up if you're willing and able. And just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. This is a conversation that can change things right now. The Bible says in Ephesians that before we come to Christ, we are spiritually dead. That means the heart monitor to your heart, there's no life in it. You're spiritually dead. You have no spiritual heartbeat. It's Christ who breathes new life in us, who makes us alive in Christ. And if you're here and you need a life-giving relationship, you need him to breathe life into you, you're away, you're, you're locked in your sins, you need Jesus to save you, invite him to do just that. Say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I believe in the work that you did for me on the cross. I I invite you to be Lord of your life. I acknowledge you as my Savior. Invite him in right now. Come on, if that's you. You need a heartbeat again. You need to have a relationship with him that's filled with life, not dead works, not religion, a relationship. And if you need that, ask him to save you right now. That's the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you and talking to you right now that you sense on your life. Give your heart to him. And now I'm speaking to the other part of the room, those who are already in Christ. Won't you just, we're gonna do this every week that I'm preaching in this series. Would you just begin to say, God, I invite you into my home. Come on, would you just say those words? I invite you into my marriage. I invite, I make a little room right now. I'm like that Shunammite woman. I'm gonna carve out a little space not in your head not in your heart with your words right now talk to the lord with intentionality get out of the now and move to the not yet lord i make room right now god come into my life in a greater way i make room for you come into my marriage name that spouse name that person even if they're sitting right next to you God, I I put my husband in your hands. I put my wife in your hands. Come on, name your children. Lord, I just cover them right now. I pray, Lord, that you'd be at work in that child's life in a greater way. I make room. Come into my family, Lord. That's it. And now would you pray? Say, Lord, would you over these next few weeks and we're in this series, would you start new things? Come on, say, start something new. Do something new in my home. Lord, as you ask me questions that we bring conversation, would you be in our conversation, in our home? Start something new. Ask him to resurrect dead things in your home. God, would you bring dead things back to life? Would you bring dead things back to life in my marriage, in my relationships, in my home, in my friendships? And now I want you to be just like that Shunammite woman. Yeah, It's calling on behalf of a a dead family member, somebody whose heart's not beating for the things of the Lord. And listen, I just believe that God can start things again, can start a heartbeat again. Why don't you just pray right now for that lost son or daughter? Come on, would you do that? That lost family member, that lost friend, that thing that's in your household, that person that's in your household. Lord, would you start their heartbeat again? Lord, it's drifted. It's gone hard. Make it soft. Make it pliable. Lord, by the Holy Spirit, give them a new heart. Come on. Let's call upon the Lord. Let's get vulnerable before the Lord and just call upon his name on behalf of them. God, be at work in my parents. They used to be in your house. They used to sing to you. They used to be on the team, but Lord, they've drifted. Lord, I pray, start their heart again. Resurrect their heart again, God. Father, I thank you that in this room, this morning, you're saved people. Lord, there are people that came in here far away from you, but Lord, you're saved to the uttermost. They're a right relationship with you again. Lord, I thank you that you're doing something new in families. It's been our prayer. God, start new things, new seasons in marriages, new seasons with children. Lord, I pray, show up in a home, show up at a dinner table, show up in a car in a conversation. Lord, and I pray, may we hear reports of children turning their hearts to the Lord. Lord, again, that grown-up adult son or daughter, that teenager that doesn't have anything right now for the things of God. Let something begin to beat again, Lord. Raise them up by the power of the Holy Spirit, God. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing and what you're able to do. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Come on, please remain standing as we worship the Lord.